So I saw your video this morning um, about the uh, the market movements and uh, sh like sort of a lot of the short term justifications of why the the stock prices is, is down. Are you so when when did you start investing in Tesla again? When did you first get 2016. in? 2016. Okay. Uh, the, the, the first rocket landing, the first orbital booster rocket landing was December 21, 2015. And that was sort of the thing that moved me to become a conviction investor in Tesla. Mm -hmm. And I started buying Tesla stock February of 2016. I just started, my strategy, generally speaking, is when I have free cash, then I buy something. I didn't yeah. have a strategy of like, let me sell everything and buy Tesla. It was just more, all right, let me look at my account. Okay, I've got some free cash. What am I going to buy stock in? And from that moment on, the only thing I bought stock in, with rare exception, was Tesla. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that I went, you know, heavy into Tesla. I actually went fairly light into Tesla, but I kept buying more. And then it went up. It's in 2020, I think it was. It just shot up. Mm -hmm. So it went from like 25% of my portfolio to 75%. And then nice. more recently, I really went all in. There's a whole, you know, personal some personal issues happened that gave me complete control of my accounts. Mm -hmm. And I sold almost everything else, and I'm like 98, 98 or 99% Tesla. Dang, big conviction. I mean, I think one of the interesting things that I've been finding is there's been a lot of folks. So, so I've been in it uh, since I think my first buy was in late December back in 2012, but it was small. It was real, real small. I had just uh, graduated college not too long ago before then, and I had just got my first big real job and I had some disposable income. And just by luck, I stumbled into Tesla, I would say. And then I sort of rode that first wave and I'm like, oh crap, I can buy a house now. <laughs> so that was like awesome, you know? And that's sort of, that was my story getting into it. But what I find really interesting nowadays is I think, like I'm wondering, you know, there's a lot of noise that's been happening from the last like six months of Tesla just coming down, coming down, coming down. And, I, and I'm all co consistently like, what I'm thinking about is that crazy stretch which you lived through, obviously, that crazy FUD stuff that happened 2017, 2018, 2019, where still the stock, it, it's still happening, right? But like the stock was getting destroyed. You know, it, it couldn't get out of that range. And now the, these, last, these last six months are very reminiscent of that time to me. And I'm wondering, um, like how many of the folks that, that I see on Twitter or the forums that I follow that are having uh, these sort of uh, thoughts about, oh my God, what's wrong with Tesla? What's wrong with Tesla? It's just, you know, it's just all, some of us are just reliving that moment again, you know? And, and it's, I feel like there's some parallels there for some folks, um, but I don't know. I don't know what, what your thoughts are as far I as like, yeah. I think there's two kinds of people in the, in the Tesla community, the Tesla social media community. Yeah. There are people who are long-term investors. And by the way, I don't think there's any other kind of investor. There's no such thing as a short-term investor. A short-term investor is a trader. Mm -hmm. You're either a long-term investor or you're not really an investor. You're a trader. Mm -hmm. If you're a long-term investor, this is just another bump in the road. Who cares? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, I'm not selling my stock till maybe 2030. So what difference does it make what the stock does in 2022? It's, it's a, it's a little, it's, we're, we're, we're riding a roller coaster, yeah. but we can see where the roller coaster goes at the end. I think you and I have the same view that you're looking at the future for, I mean, really simply, I don't know which video you saw. Cause I did two, I just published a video like two hours ago. Um, okay. Last year they produced almost a million cars with like one and a half factories. Yep. Next year, they're going to have five factories and the three new factories that the half factory is going to be a full factory and it's more efficient and higher, more profitable than the first factory. Yeah. The three newer factories are going to be even more efficient and even more profitable than the second factory. 
So you're seeing crazy profitability. You're seeing crazy growth. Um, and I don't get how anybody can, I don't know. I don't understand what else you would invest in. Right. So if you're looking long-term and you're saying, cause there's bumps in the road, there's inflation, there's a lockdown in Shanghai or something like that. There's little bumps in the road that slow things down temporarily, but you can look at the long arc of where Tesla's going. And not only do you have the five factories in 2023, but Elon talked about how in 2024, they're going to be producing the next generation robotaxi vehicle. Right. And that's not even getting into Tesla bot, but we know there's going to be, and I think they're going to have at least four factories producing that robotaxi vehicle. That's like the next generation vehicle. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be even higher margin. It's going to be even more value creation. And you just look at, okay, they made a million vehicles last year. They're going to make a million and a half this year with all the, with all the bumps in the road, they're still going to make a million and a half this year. Yeah. 2023, they're going to make 4 million and yeah. going forward, you know, at, at it's not that far down the road that they're making 10 million vehicles. They're going to, t- and, and ten, making 10 million vehicles more profitably than they made at a higher profit margin than when they made 1 million. Yeah. So I don't know how anybody can look at that. You basically what, what you see is people who, the people who are critical of Tesla stock ignore that there's two new factories about to start producing vehicles, ignore the fact that Shanghai is adding another basically whole factory. Um, they ignore you can ignore, I can understand ignoring RoboTaxi. I don't believe in ignoring RoboTaxi and bot, but I can understand ignoring them. I think you should put a low, at least put a low probability on them Yeah. and then try to figure out what they're worth. But just on vehicle production alone, just on Megapack, there's a Megapack factory that's starting production anytime now. Right. It's going to go, they're going to go from four gigawatt hours of, of store energy storage deployed to 44. Yeah. In, in a very short time. Yeah. There's so much good news happening. There's so much growth and so much profitability. Like what, where else would you put your, what money? else do you need? <laughs> no, no. But like, if you were going to sell Tesla and now you've got cash, what yeah. are you doing with the cash? Yeah. You're buying general motors. Are you, are you buying Apple? Are you buying, are you holding it in cash and in, holding cash in an inflationary environment is dumb. Right. Buying bonds in an inflationary environment is dumb. Like if you're going to have 8% inflation, you're going to get 2% on your, on your bond. Well, you're losing 6% a year. Right. But if you buy into a, when you're in an economic crisis, which we arguably are in at least a mild economic crisis, you want assets that are profitable growing and that have demonstrated that they perform well in a crisis. Right. Well, we just went through a two year crisis and Tesla performed better than anybody else. Yeah. Not forget about the stock price. They massively increased production right? They hit their 500,000, then they hit 900 plus thousand vehicles delivered. They went from basically not profitable to insanely profitable. Yeah. What, what other asset would you want to hold in this kind of situation? That's I, I don't see it. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And it's, it's almost like, it's almost like I feel like the market and again, like when I say the market, it's obviously it's, it's a combination of folks that are buying and selling that's creating these price movements. But I feel like there's still this man, like maybe there's just a lot of distrust on Tesla specifically being able to execute on their longer term uh, goals. Still, no, I don't think you so. Know? I don't think so. So this is the key distinction between long term investors and traders. OK, short ter- short term investors, traders are not looking at five years down the road. They're not looking at two years down the road. Right. They're looking at tomorrow. Right. They're looking at three. They're not looking three years from now. They're looking three hours from now. 
Right. If they're looking that far, they might be looking three minutes from now. So long-term investors have very little influence over short-term share prices. Because mm -hmm. if you're a buy and hold investor, you, and I, like I'm, I'm out, I don't have any more cash. I'm all in on Tesla. So it's not like I have a lot of extra cash. If you have cash lying around, you're not a long-term investor. You're holding cash instead of stock. Yeah. There's this whole theory that, okay, well, I'm going to buy the dip. Well, you don't know when the dip's going to be. You don't know where the bottom of the dip is. When I have cash, I buy Tesla because I'm looking at $10,000 a share in a few years. Yeah. So I don't care whether I buy at 1000 or 700 or 1200 right? Yeah. So if yeah. I have free cash, I'm going to buy Tesla stock. I don't know... The, the idea that you can predict where the dip is going to be, when the dip is going to be, how low the dip is yeah. going to be, you can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, it just falls out. That's playing games. You know, what, yeah. if, you, if you have a stock that's going to 10x and you can buy it at 1,000, you're going to wait. If you wait, like, look, it did hit 700, right? So if you were playing the game of waiting to 700, that's fine. But what if it got to 705? Right. And you didn't buy because you were waiting for 700 and then you missed out. Yeah. And, you know, if you bought at 690 instead of 705, what did you gain? Right. You didn't gain that much, but what did you miss if, if it never dropped to your target? You yeah. missed a lot. So there's a lot of examples where people were waiting for a dip and it didn't, it either didn't come or it didn't go as low as they wanted and then they missed out. So yeah. for me, you know, I believe in Tesla and I don't worry about this short term talk about Twitter or inflation or macro. It's all talk. Look at the company, look at what they're doing, look at what their growth prospects are, look at the profitability. Tell me another company that's going to be in better shape in five years. Yeah. I, had I can't a, see one. I had a thesis in Q1 that um, as the quarterly reports of the other uh, automakers start coming out in comparison to Tesla, I called it a watershed moment. Like it, it, this thing would appear where it would become very clear for the market that Tesla is an obvious, uh, a, a very good investment in this um, sort of environment that we're in because it's one of the very few companies if not <laughs> the only company, especially in its industry, that's gonna be generating a ton of cash in an environment where you're gonna have um, uh, interest rates going up. And so as interest rates go up, cash theoretically becomes more valuable because it costs more to borrow, right? So now you have a, a company in this case that is generating a ton of cash during this uh, uh, period of, of higher and higher interest rates while the rest of the industry is very clearly struggling to either um, generate enough demand or have enough supply to be able to push to that demand. And, and I think what the other point that comes out of that as well is that one of the few, if only things that you know, if I'm gonna, I'm gonna use Legacy Auto as an example here. One of the very few things that Legacy Auto had on Tesla, one could argue, is that they've been in the game for over a hundred years, and they are supply chain experts, right? Because that's really what these automakers are. They are folks that are just buying uh, supplies from other companies, and they're putting them together into a car, and then they're selling the car. The only thing they really build is the engine, and that's it, right? So they're supply chain experts. So even in an environment where the supply chain, because of COVID or whatever, is completely destroyed. Tesla is yet again the leader <laughs> in that situation and in a place where theoretically the only thing the legacy autos had as a win was being a supply chain expert. But I'm still, but what you explained makes a lot of sense because again, like it's the short-term traders that are dictating the price, but maybe naively I thought, okay, people are going to wake up and finally say, yep, you know, I would expect the rest of the market going down and then Tesla is going like this, it's going up, but right. in, it didn't in happen. In the long haul, yeah. long-term investors matter because- as numbers come out, as the stock dips, you know, 
there are certain investors who are looking at this and saying, well, wait a minute. I mean, you look, you do the numbers. I mean, I think we're looking now at a price earnings ratio. If you just look like forward 70? price earnings ratio, not if you look at the forward price earnings ratio, yeah. you know, what, what earnings are going to be for 2022, let's say, versus which is going to be around $15 a share. Yeah. If the stock is trading under $750, then the price earnings ratio is less than 50 on a company that's growing like insanely fast. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So there, there are other long-term investors out there who haven't particularly focused on Tesla stock. And at some point the stock dips low enough or the, the other numbers are strong enough that they start to say, wait a minute, this is a bargain. But the the daily, the day-to-day stock price is driven by people who are looking at so-called technical analysis. They're looking at support levels and they have all this mumbo jumbo that I, I never even tried to understand. Mm-hmm. They're playing options games. They're playing margin games. If you have a bunch of people who bought Tesla stock on margin and then they got a margin call, then that creates a further push uh, to, to sell off on the stock. Yeah. But none of that affects, you know, how much money, how much is Tesla growing, right? What's the growth perspective? Tesla has a big cash pile. They're growing, they're building factories, they're fitting out their factories. They're producing more and more, more and more vehicles and more and more energy storage. They're doing their, they're executing the business plan well. Yeah. So over the long haul, the short-term traders get drowned out by the long-term investors when the big time long-term investors start to see, wait a minute, this is too much of a bargain now. Yeah. So you you can have this like short-term volatility, but if you're, <laughs> there's so many people who are stressed about it. And look, my, my portfolio is down. I, if I look at my brokerage account, I'm probably down, I don't know, 30, 40% or whatever from where it was a few, yeah. a few months ago. But I just don't care. Yeah. I'm not, I, I, I'm not selling this week. I'm not selling next week. I'm not selling this year. Yeah. I have never, just to be clear, I have full disclosure. I'm very heavily invested in Tesla and I have never sold a share. Good for you. I can't say I will never sell a share in the short term because there's certain cash needs that may come out. Yeah, take a vacation attitude. sometime, Warren. <laughs> no, I make enough money from other things. <laughs> no, I, I have enough joking. money yeah. from other things that I, yeah. that I, my general strategy is not to sell Tesla stock. Yeah. Um, that I think that even like I have my own startup idea that I, I, I want to invest in, but I'm not going to sell Tesla stock to fund it because. Tesla stock's a better investment investment than my own startup. So <laughs> Yeah, I, I wonder like once I wonder how Q2 is gonna come in and the the sort of um uh, results they're going to post because I know Shanghai has been sort of a uh, a question mark for for the you know the because of the supply chain issues and they had shutdowns and all that stuff, but at the same time I'm wondering once uh, once the story goes back to hey Q3 and Q4 are going to be ridiculous quarters and we're going to have tremendous cash generation I wonder if it's going to be a snap recovery back to where it's been or if it's going to be sort of uh, again dominated by macro movements you know because I think the Q3 and Q4 story for Tesla is really the one that that's I'm very excited to see because that really outlines what 2023 is going to look like because Austin and Berlin theoretically should be you know at least halfway ramped and then we're going to really start seeing the power of having a localized supply chain and uh, having factories that are going to be running at a much higher margin because now you have the ability to build a, a, a line from scratch you know instead of using yeah. old legacy lines from Fremont and 
and uh, and Shanghai. So um, yeah, it's, it's just been a very interesting environment. Uh, and, and I think sort of to, to one of the things you were saying too, uh, when people, I feel like when people are freaking out or people are are, are sort of going through pain of, of this of this moment of the price going down, I'm sort of on the same boat that, that you are. You know, I look at my account and I'm like, well, it sucks seeing so many red numbers on my account. But at the same time, it, it's it gives me a chance to sit down and reflect and say, okay, am I invested for the right reasons, right? So if I feel this sort of pain and emotional response to this, am I actually invested for the reasons that I initially got invested in, right? And then I think that's one of the things that might help folks that are feeling distressed is that if you do feel a lot of stress from this, think back to why you got into the company in the first place. And if you got into it for short-term reasons, perhaps reevaluate because, you know, Tesla is 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 uh, could succumb to some of the forces that could uh, make it uh, go down heavily, you know. So I think it's just there's a moment a, a of self reflection. Yeah, there's a lot. There's there's a lot of short term traders playing games with stocks in general. Yeah, and they're playing games with Tesla stock in particular. There are the FUD forces and the shorts that are you know their 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 behavior tends to have a downward pressure on the stock or, or, or increase the volatility of the stock. Um, my sense is that Q2 numbers might not be that good because of the shock shutdowns in Shanghai. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Tesla doesn't seem to be rushing to get vehicles delivered out of Texas or Berlin. I, I believe they are delivering out of Berlin now, mm -hmm. but you know, it's going to be Q3 at least before we start to see really significant changes in the numbers. And we can't, we can't know what's going on in China. Is that going to get better? I mean, I, I suppose it's possible that the leadership in China, the political leadership in China, China has decided to destroy their own economy. Uh, you know, I, I, it's certainly starting to look a little bit like it's that. Odd. You know, our, it's our odd. Our government decided to destroy our economy. Now the Chinese are next. <laughs> There's always my theory. One of my theories is that we're living in a simulation mm -hmm. that Elon is a player character. The rest of us are non-player characters. <laughs> and the people running this simulation decided Elon was doing too well. So they increased the degree of difficulty. <laughs> Right. And that because, you know, what we're seeing is kind of like, you know, we've had pandemics before. We never responded like this. We you know, there's all these things going on, you know, was, yeah, I, the, was, was the bad orange man that much worse than the the, the Republicans before him? I I never <laughs> liked him, but like, yeah, they've inflated him to like the, the greatest threat to, you know, I thought climate change was the greatest threat to humanity. Apparently it's the bad orange man. I, I don't know. It's just, I think it's so interesting you bring that up. I just think it's a, it might be a symptom of, of too much information for everybody. And everybody thinks that, I think that there's just certain folks that may be in positions of power that feel like they, they have a lot of knowledge around certain topics and then they're making decisions uh, using data. So if you think back, what's the biggest pandemic we had? 1918, I think the, the, the Spanish flu was probably the Something last like biggest one. Um, the internet wasn't around and and the, the amount of data and information we had back then is like a fraction of a fraction of a percent versus what we have now. And now that we have um, data and information about pandemics and whatever, medicine, viruses, whatever you wanna call it. I feel like um, sometimes what ends up happening is a lot of that data is misused uh, because you don't have, um, you know, the internet's only been around for say 30, 40 years in earnest, really 20 years like in the power that it's been today. I feel like sometimes uh, folks that are in specific situations think they know it and they mean well because they're utilizing data that they think is correct. But one of the things that I found, my background is in data, is that it's very rarely the first or second time you look at the data is correct. You really have to dig down and really, really understand what are you, what are you looking at here? And so, and, and you apply that to every single thing that's happening in the world, 
COVID, Trump, whatever you want to call it. I just think people have access to data and they think the data is right. But in reality, that data is many layers deep and, and perhaps we don't have enough time or we choose not to put enough time into really uh, researching what is underneath that primary set of data that's going on. And that's why we have so many so-called experts coming out and making decisions that could potentially ruin economies. You know, that's sort of trust my, the, it's like one of the bad the things about the internet. The science. Yeah. Trust the experts, follow the science, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, are you- Apparently, apparently there's a yeah. lot of experts there that know more about self-driving cars than Elon Musk and the, the <laughs> Tesla. The Tesla. Apparently, the, apparently, the, there's this guy named Dan O'Dowd who knows more about self-driving. Oh, he's cars so smart. Than the Tesla autopilot. He's so team. smart, Warren. <laughs> you, you, we just don't realize how smart these people are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what um, Cummings knows more about it than than they do, and Gordon Johnson knows more about it than they do. There's just all these people who, you know, and it's so comical. I don't know. Do you have FSD beta? I do. I do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I drive it every day. I, pretty much every day, I drive it. Yeah. It's not perfect. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's not perfect. Yeah, I think I think the thing that gets missed there all the time is that is is the only way, my opinion, the only way to get this right is that you need a way to to gather as much data as humanly possible. And once you hit a certain threshold, the the improvement becomes exponential because that's just a function of data and that's how it works. Oh, good. to make that self-driving work. Correct. Correct. So yeah. you have to have an army of cars out there with testers out there to give you the data that you need versus a fleet of a thousand cars that are going to be driving the same route over and over again. It's a non-scalable solution, right? And I think that's where these folks are just, I don't know, they choose to ignore the fact that this is the only way to do it correctly, or maybe they have um, bad intentions potentially that they're trying to harm the company the, for their own you know, the, gains. The conversations I have just crack me up. Like, tell me about people him. will say, oh, <laughs> he's, you know, Elon can't do that or Tesla can't do that or it can't be done. I'm like, have you seen the orbital rocket boosters landing? Do you right. know that people said you couldn't do that, that you couldn't make that work? Well, no, we never said you couldn't do it. Well, you said you couldn't do it economically, right? Almost everyone agreed that you couldn't make that work from an economic standpoint. Right. And SpaceX has demonstrated not only can we do the most that's what i'm saying when when that happened this december 21 2015 and they launched a rocket into the sky accelerated to i forget how many times the speed of sound turned it around brought it back and landed it in basically the same spot yeah and what did somebody describe it was like throwing a pencil over the empire state building and having it land on the eraser on the other side yeah yeah <laughs> And it, it really is pretty much like that. Yeah. And, you, and like now you're telling me, tell me again, there's something they can't do. So, so, yeah. Why, why do you think, so why do you think folks think like that? Like if, if we're going to like study the psychology of it, so why, why do you think there is a percentage of the population that's having such a tough time? And again, you know, I, I want to oh, come, okay. no, I'm going to be, yeah. I have a very clear answer to that. Okay. The average person doesn't put a lot of thought into it. Mm. There are a dedicated group of people who are being paid to spread FUD. Whether it's from the oil industry, the car industry, political figures, whatever, there is an army of people. I mean, I'm there, there, there's tens or probably hundreds of people who are being paid to spread lies, to mm. spread confusion. And there are, now the, anybody who drives a Tesla gets it. 
Anybody, you know, the vast majority of people who invest in Tesla, who participate in the Tesla community, they get it. The vast majority of people in general aren't paying attention, but there's a body of people who watch NBC News and CNN and Fox News, and they read the Wall Street Journal, they read the New York Times, and they wrongly think they can trust these publications to tell them the truth or tell them something close to the truth. Yeah. And, and no matter how many times, you, I'll say this bluntly, no matter how many times you show people how much our government and our media have lied to us, they just want to believe what they're told. So there's a, there's a subset of the population is substantial. That's like, well, if, if Brian Williams says this or, you know, what, whichever media figure they, they trust says this, then they just tend to believe it. And, you know, my favorite example of government lying to us is the Vietnam war for 20 years, four presidents, their cabinets, the, the generals, everyone lied to the American people at the Vietnam war. They killed 3 million innocent Asians. Um, they killed, I don't know, tens of thousands of American soldiers. They did, you know, spent, I don't know, 10, hundreds of billions, a trillion dollars. I forget how much they spent on the Vietnam War. They lied to us about Afghanistan. That, but you you point this out to people and they're like, it's it's almost like it's a they have a blind spot. They are so because we've had from childhood, we've been bombarded with propaganda from through the school systems, everything telling us trust the government, trust the experts, trust the science, blah, 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 blah. And it's very hard to get people to take the red pill, the, ma the matrix version of the red pill, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. Hey, you know, maybe all this stuff you've been told, and I don't know if you've had your matrix moment or you just never bought it from the beginning. I, I don't remember when my matrix moment was, but, you know, at a certain point I started to say, wait a minute. And then I started to say, wait a minute more. You start peeling off layers of the onion and pretty soon you start to realize they don't tell us the truth about anything. Yeah. If they, yeah. if they tell us the truth, it's an accident. <laughs> I think the, the the one thing, you know, it's it's I can tell you that the one moment I had that sort of made me um, oh man, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but it made me sad at some of the state of affairs was when I it was around that 2017 time frame where I had been invested in Tesla for close to five years at that point. And then I, I, I understood the company really well. Um, I felt like I understood um, Elon's mission pretty well. He came across as somebody that I could trust. He was very open. And and right around that time, I started working at the company as well. So I started seeing the inside of the company. So I'm like, okay, I can see with my own two eyes what's going on. And then there was this, um, this uh, essentially, I felt like the entirety of the, the media landscape was hell bent on running stories that would uh, dramatically discredit that company and what Elon was doing. And it, yeah. I think that was the very first moment. And I don't know, you know, I am, I haven't been around for for as long as, as some folks, and I, I don't consider myself an experienced person. I'm you know, 35. I ha I've barely seen anything. This Tesla journey has sort of been my first major thing that I've undertaken as a person. But I think that in itself was a very, eye-opening experience for me that taught me to say hey like don't don't take what you're told at face value there are many layers uh that again back to my analogy about data there's so many things that are going on underneath the layer that's that's the core truth and then there may be uh incentives going on either in media or in other places that are are there to um, make people money or to, for people to have a certain agenda right and that was a very eye-opening thing for me because 
I grew up, uh, you know, saying, yep, uh, trusted news. These are people that are, that are very, uh, they know what they're talking about. They're very important. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard for you. Like, you're not a journalist. You can't go out there and figure this stuff out. These people went to school for it. These people get paid for it. They're experts, right? And then at that point, I think something went in my head. It's like, man, nobody knows what the hell they're doing. Nobody's really an expert. And there's so many uh, agendas and incentive structures in place that could very easily uh, twist the things that you're hearing. And I, I, to this day, I don't know how to feel about that because feel, I feel very uneasy. You know, I feel kind of uneasy about that development. But I just kind of wanted to put that out there because it's like, you know, it's yeah, weird. I, I, I just want to say it this way. I think that there's there's some ground truth out there, right? There's some real reality out there that we're trying. We're all, none of us really knows the truth. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have all just, you know, fundamentally there's photons entering our eyes. Right. So we see things because photon and, and there can be disruptions in the photon stream and we hear things and there's, you know, there might be some flutter on your microphone or there's different things that can interfere with it. So we're, we're all trying to perceive the world in our, in our best way we can. When it comes to understanding what's happening in the political sphere, the business sphere, whatever, my own approach has been have multiple sources, listen to what the Republicans say, listen to what the Democrats say, listen to what the Libertarians say, listen to what the Greens say, if possible, learn to read French, read what the French are saying, read what the Japanese are saying, try to get a bunch of different perspectives. And in particular, try to get different perspectives where they disagree. And then you can kind of try to triangulate to the truth through that. Mm. And then it also helps to have some basic understanding of the topic. You and I both have an understanding of what Tesla is doing. And if we see a story from CNN saying Tesla cars are catching fire, we know immediately, well, that's kind of odd because electric vehicles are much less likely to catch fire than an internal combustion engine vehicle. Yeah. And we can read that story with a critical eye and say, wait a minute, okay, there's only one source that's saying this, and it's somebody who works for somebody that, you know, you can kind of notice, wait, why aren't they getting verification on the story, right? So when you see something that collides with your own strong sense of ground truth, then you start to question, wait a minute, what are they saying? And I, and I love the way somebody said this, you know, think about how, how wrong they've gotten Tesla over the last five years. Now think about all the other stuff they must have been lying to you about. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I, and I would say, I'm, I don't want to get specific because I don't want to damage your channel, but there's something <laughs> that happened over the last couple of years and government told us a lot of stuff and the media told us a lot of stuff. And if you ask me a lot of that stuff, I'm, I'm being very <laughs> careful with my language to not say anything, but to me, to me, a lot of that stuff turned out to be not quite as true. What could you be talking about, Warren? <laughs> I have no idea. No, and then, you know, like, and, and then what's striking to me is I have these conversations, particularly on Twitter, and I have friends who are like, I'll show them the article yeah. from when the, the magic shot appeared. And they told us the magic shot was going to accomplish these goals, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And they'll say, well, no, no. They'll say, no, no, it, it wasn't going to do that. It was only going to do this. Like, well, well, here's the article in the New England Journal of Medicine where they said it was 95% effective at blah, blah, blah. And now you're saying that's not what they told us. Like, I'm showing you right here. This is what they told us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people are so desperate to believe that. What's the line? Um, it's easier to fool someone than it is to persuade them that they've been, it's easier to fool someone than it is to persuade them that they've been fooled. Mm. So there's a significant swath of the population and it's shrinking because they're starting to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But there's a significant swath of the population that just bought into whatever they were told. And when you say to them, wait a minute, this obviously doesn't make sense. 
right? What are we doing here? I'll give you a simple number thing, okay? I'm, I'm 56 years old. I was 54, let's say, at the time all this started happening. Mm-hmm. I went in actuarial tables, and I saw that my probability of death in a given year is about a 1 in 150, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. My probability of catching the magic thing that we were all scared about um, was about 1 in 10 in a year. Without any sort of protection whatsoever, this is before there was any sort of magic shot, right? So my probability of dying from this thing, of, of, my, of catching this thing, was about 1 in 10. And looking at the numbers, looking at uh, what's called the the IFR, there's a professor at Stanford who published a, you know something through the WHO actually mm-hmm. that the infection the IFR I don't want to say the words um, that my probability of dying from the thing if I got it was one in two thousand so one in ten times one in two thousand is one in twenty thousand mm-hmm. well what's one over one hundred fifty my probability of death in a given year plus one in twenty thousand I'm going to tell you the answer is one in one hundred fifty. Right. So it didn't move the needle. I'm talking to friends who are math competent, right? Math savvy. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, look, tell me where my numbers are wrong. Why are we panicking about this thing when it doesn't? And these are friends who are my age. I went to college with or whatever. Look, this doesn't alter our probability of dying in a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why are we freaking out? And, and people who understood the math refused to accept. The, like, like if, if you can't accept the math... How blinded have you been by, have you become by the propaganda? Right. So, and I think the same thing is true with Tesla. Yeah. Right. You can hear all this FUD about, oh, I, I, you know, electric vehicles catching fire. Like, well, we've got the math for you right here. They're, they're 10, they're, they're much less likely to catch fire than an internal combustion engine vehicle. We've got the numbers right here. Tesla's catch fire one less than one, one 11th as often as yeah. gasoline cars. Yeah. We can show you the numbers. Yeah, but but MSNBC said they, they, they're so addicted to their sources of information. And if you rip that away from them, you know, it's kind of like if you took the red pill, but you didn't understand what the red pill was going to do. And all of a sudden you find yourself like, where the hell am I? It's very disorienting. Mm-hmm. And people don't want to be disoriented. They like being oriented. Mm-hmm. They like a sense of order. They like a sense of, okay, this is, I can trust NBC News, I can trust CNN, I can trust Fox News, whatever their source is, they don't want to believe, they, they want the blue pill. Mm-hmm. Was you know, there, they, would you say like as a person, like what was there a, a moment in your life that sort of uh, made you start uh, f- like thinking this way or being very analytical about the things that were happening or were you always this way? Like, was this a learned thing over time or was this something that you just, you were always like this? I, I don't th- know if I remember a moment, but I, yeah. you know, I majored in mathematical economics when I was in college. Mm-hmm. My parents were um, far left, liberal New York City Jews. Mm-hmm. And I would talk, and I had a very good relationship with my parents. I would talk to my dad a lot. And my dad would say something and I would say, well, you know, I studied economics. That doesn't work. And we would have a conversation. And, and my father was like, oh, you know, he he remained a liberal you know, far left liberal, uh, New York city Jew for his entire life. But we would have conversations. Well, that, well, that's not really going to work because, and I would show him the economics like, Oh, you know, at least, and we would have that conversation. And so I was sold this story from the democratic party for much of my life. Mm -hmm. And then I had experiences. I worked on a democratic primary campaign and I encountered my first Marxist that the, not the candidate, but the people working on the campaign were open Marxists. Like, Mm. wait a minute, but 
but we know that doesn't work, you know? And so you have these moments and then in my, my own political journey, this was, I, I got involved in my local town politics and I saw corruption, what I would describe as corruption, in the democratic party, when I was on the democratic committee, then I joined the Republicans and then I discovered they really weren't that much better. Yeah. 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 Right. And, and I had, um, somewhere along the way, I discovered the Libertarian Party, and the Libertarian Party has its own major flaws. But I started getting that Libertarian perspective on things. Um, you know, and it, there's nothing perfect, right? Yeah. So I think it's just a long journey. It's not like there's one moment. And I would say it's sort of like every. I I always I used to think I was cynical, and every every five years I look back and realize how naive I was. It's not like I had this <laughs> moment where I suddenly got it. Like every yeah. five years I look back and God, I was so naive then. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it, does. It, I think I'm at the point now where that's probably not going to, I'm not going to have that moment again. And I've probably been, I don't think I look back on five years ago and think I was naive five years ago, mm -hmm. but you know, 10 years ago, I was naive 15 and, and 10, 10 years ago, me thought 15 years ago, me was naive. Mm. So I think I may have gotten to that steady state where I'm sort of like, okay, I'm at my, I'm at the right level of cynicism now. Okay. <laughs> nice. So the, the one thing that I really respect about you, Warren, is that you're somebody that comes across as, as you're someone that is not afraid to share uh, their truth, like what you believe is the truth. And you're and you have a lot of conviction in it. And you're very articulate in that, you know, like agree or disagree, whatever it is, like, I, that's the thing I really respect about you is that you you know what you think, you have ways to back it up, and you're not afraid to talk about it and debate it with anybody. Okay. So that's one thing I really, really respect. How, how did you learn that? Like, what was that learn? Or was that innate, that approach? Well, I mean, my father was a law professor and mm. um, argument was, I don't know if it was actively encouraged. I mean, you got shot down every once in a while, but I mm -hmm. grew up arguing with my dad a lot and, you know, he enjoyed arguing with me. Um, I went to law school. I was a trial lawyer. Uh, so, you know, one of the funny things is, you know, you'll be on YouTube and you'll get these angry comments <laughs> or you'll be on Twitter and you get these angry people be insulting or whatever. Like, yeah. I've been, I, I'm a trial lawyer. I, I, I have a criminal defense and personal injury trial lawyer. I've been yelled at by judges. Mm. I've been yelled at by judges who would threaten to put me in jail if I didn't do something, if I, if I kept doing something. I've been yelled at by cops. I've been yelled at by prosecutors. You think you're, you know, some random internet troll is going to bother me? I mean, I find them amusing. So I think, <laughs> I think one of the things is one of the, one of the gifts that I was born with or I grew up with or whatever developed was I just have a thick skin. So, you know, you'll see like Sawyer Merritt. So I love Sawyer. Sawyer gets abused. People, he gets attacked constantly and it actually bothers him. I get the same attacks and I just laugh at them. Mm -hmm. And it, that's, and, it, and I, have, I have other friends who are YouTubers and they get certain kinds of comments and it bothers them. And I'm like, well, did, and they'll say something like, I made this video and all these people are complaining. Like, did your number of subscribers drop? What? Well, how many subscribers did you lose? Uh, five. Well, how many subscribers did you gain this month? 500. Who cares? Yeah. You know, and for me, I actually, I would say this because you're a YouTuber, I'm a YouTuber. I think it's really important as a YouTuber to talk about the things that you're passionate about. There's yeah. this tendency, which I think you can probably think of certain people who their channels are more, have become more about entertainment, more about chasing an algorithm, more about entertainment, more about, and less about anal analysis and, 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 trying because I got into this really my first video was about Starship mm -hmm. 
Because I'm, I'm actually, believe it or not, as, as big as I am on Tesla, I'm more of a SpaceX fan than I am a Tesla fan. Okay. I mean, I told you the great, you know, landing yeah. orbital rocket booster is what turned yeah. me on to this. Yeah. And Elon said something about an 18 meter diameter starship. The current one is nine meter diameter. And no one was, I, I watched Everyday Astronaut. I watched Marcus House. I watched Scott Manley and nobody was talking about this. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Let me do some math in my head. Let me do some equivalent of napkin math and some drawings. And I did a video and the video did really well. Um, and I feel like what I do, and I think you do the same thing, by the way, is I just have a little bit different perspective from everybody else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you and I probably agree on a lot, but I might have a slightly different angle of offering some insight in something. Sure. And I just got driven to something happens and I want to offer my perspective. And that's why I make the videos. And I don't blow smoke. <laughs> I, I love this particular person, but you know, I don't blow smoke into the camera. I don't make jokes about your mother. Mm -hmm. you know, he has his style. I have my <laughs> style. Right. Um, and I love him. Who Just are you be clear, talking I love about? Him. I, I, I can't watch the channel because we, we, we basically watch the same news sources and we say the same things, but, but he has a shtick that works for him. Right. And I feel like for me, and this may work for him forever. I feel like for me, I just have to be me. Mm -hmm. I honestly think Tim Dodd, everyday astronaut, he's just him. Mm -hmm. He's not putting a shtick on. He's not. He's not. He's not doing a routine. He's. He, he's just genuinely that enthusiastic. He loves what he's doing. He loves talking about it. So I feel as long as I stay true to what I'm passionate about, what I'm excited about, and I don't try to chase an algorithm. And, you know, I'm not, not going to say I never. We were talking earlier about how um, off camera we were talking about how at the beginning of the video I might zoom in on something yeah. or do something early in the first minute to engage all that a stuff. Bit. Yeah. Sure, but. Yeah, I'm not cracking jokes or I used to do bikinis. <laughs> if you saw my earlier videos, I used to have these like bikini girl uh, in interludes between different segments <laughs> of the video. And I started getting pushback on it. And I'm like, I, I think it probably worked and it probably helped my videos do a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I had enough complaints. I decided, well, I don't really care that much about that. I like bikini girls, just to be clear. <laughs> Not, not apologizing for it, but all right, you know, the audience, enough of the audience didn't like that. I was turning off a segment of the audience. All right, I'll stop. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, for me, it's just, what am I excited about today? I'm going to make a video about that. To some extent, I develop like a, a list of, all right, what am I excited about this week? And I'll make a video about this tomorrow and this the next day or whatever. And yeah. Um, yeah. So I, but I, it's fundamentally, it's at the core. I have my sense of ground truth right? Which isn't correct. We're always wrong. We want to be less wrong. Um, and I'm, I almost put out my perspective and I look at the feedback and actually one of the best ways you can get closer to the truth is by getting people to tell you where they think you're wrong. Yeah. And you know, I'm kind of arrogant. 99% of the time I'm, I read their comments, I go, eh, no. But every once in a while you learn something from a comment, you learn something from feedback Somebody will create it. Like, honestly, the, like I thought the bikini girl videos were fine. I got enough pushback. Okay. My sense of ground truth was my audience is 95% male. Guys like pictures of uh, videos of girls in bikinis. What's the problem? <laughs> it turns out there's a lot of guys who don't like that anymore. I don't, I don't know. They, they'll watch cheerleaders at a football game. Somehow that's okay. But, you know, bikini girls in a tech video, apparently that's bad. So can you tell I resent that? I want to bring back the bikini girls. <laughs> Bring it back, Warren. <laughs> I I get those I get those comments too. Bring yeah, back the bikini girls. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that, man. I, I really appreciate sort of you walking through that because I can tell you that 
One of my, one of, and I'm going to be super open and honest here. One of my things is that, especially earlier on with the YouTube video, because I never, and this is another question I wanted to ask you too, but like, I never envisioned myself in this forum at all, at all. Right. Like it, for me, Same. it was, I was very, um, you know, I, w I wasn't a, a very uh, extroverted person, whatever you want to call it. I wasn't really comfortable in the camera. And then over time, I think what ended up happening in my professional life is that I started really connecting with 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 people and I, and I sort of started developing some, uh, maybe some leadership qualities or just abilities to like get in front of people and convey a message. And I was getting extremely good feedback on that. So it gave me a lot of confidence. But I can tell you one of the things that I've been actively working on is is confidence and being comfortable in what I believe in and being comfortable putting it out there. I think that's a very, I think that's very difficult. And that's at least for me. And I think for a lot of people it is as well, because that's the sort of feedback I get as well is like, wow, like I, you know, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. Trust me, it feels extremely uncomfortable sometimes when I'm putting together a video and I have a thought out there and I put it out there. And I, I'm probably one of those people, honestly, like, like maybe like a Sawyer or somebody else where I might be reading through some things and a certain comment catches a certain way. I'm like, fuck, like, damn, like this kind of hurts. You know, it's like, it hits you right here and it kind of hurts so it's a punch in the face you know in a way so but i think i think to your point what really taught me is that as long as like you said as long as you're super uh, confident in your core truth and you're passionate about it the feedback does not matter it really in a sense like like those sort of like um the emotions you feel rather the emotions you right. feel don't really matter it's everything has just be it, it is what it is. That's your core truth, you know? And I'm almost like, I don't even care about the numbers going up or down. I think my my thing is that I think people really respect authenticity and people really respect vulnerability and people really respect passion. So as long as you have those three things combined in whatever you do in life, YouTube, working, whatever it is, if those three things are true, uh, you will be invincible and then you'll find your audience or whoever you want to work with that you'll connect with at a very, very ground level. And then you'll be able to make amazing things, either content or physical things or whatever. And this YouTube journey has really taught me that lesson so far is that you just have to be comfortable with who you are and what you believe in, put it out there. And then you just have to feel uncomfortable or feel comfortable feeling uncomfortable. And then over time, you'll, you'll, you know, maybe you'll develop a thick skin or you just learn how to take the, the core important things from those things and then apply to your life and become a better person over time. You know, I, I'm going to say it this way, because I, I, I really mean this. You have to not be afraid to be wrong. Yeah. You have to not be afraid to, for people to see you being wrong. Because if you're, if you're willing to be wrong and then you get corrected, then you learn. If, exactly. you, if, you're not, if you're not making mistakes, and I taught English in Japan for a year. And it was actually one of the hardest things about teaching Japanese people to speak English is they don't, they're culturally, they don't want to make mistakes. Mm. They, they, you know, so you, you need to try to speak so that I can, I can teach you, no, 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 you don't say it this way, you say it that way. And that's one of the best ways to learn, right? That's how FSD learns, right? FSD makes mistakes and we correct it. And then they yeah. retrain the software. Um, one of the one of the best ways to learn is to try something, make a mistake, and get feedback. And I'm sure I've been wrong about stuff. Like I, I had stuff on my channel where I was just wrong. I made I made the wrong call. I actually just realized recently, I'm um, not from crit, not from comments, but I have been working. I have this thing called the battery revenue model, and I've been working on the theory that Tesla is going to produce products with six terawatt hours of batteries in 2030. And if you read their impact report, that I just did a video on that a few days ago. Um, and I, I opened up with, here's something I got wrong. I just learned this from the impact report. 
their target is really three, three terawatt hours in 2030. Mm-hmm. I thought their target was to produce three terawatt hours of batteries in 2030 and then use three terawatt hours of batteries from suppliers in 2030. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they said on battery day. As I heard it, they weren't really clear. But if you read the impact report, it looks like their goal is to do three terawatt hours of products in mm. 2030. So that halves the potential for my battery revenue model. And I stand corrected. And I learned from that. You know, but I and I look, I got it wrong. And I'm and somebody says, Oh, Warren, you were wrong about blah, blah, blah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Are you telling me you've never been wrong about anything? I made mm-hmm. mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, on the broad sweep of you know the battery revenue model, cut it in half, it's still, you know, a lot of money. I think that's still like eight thousand dollars a share, ten thousand dollars a share if you cut it in half from from the battery revenue model. Yeah. So I think there's real value. You know, what, one of the things that we're doing is we're talking to an audience, we're giving them our perspective. But another thing that we're doing ultimately is we're learning, we're learning how to make videos better. We're learning how to communicate to an audience better. But we're also learning about Tesla, SpaceX, Neuralink, the boring company. Um, I, you know, part of the reason I, I'm so passionate about this is I'm so excited about what all these companies are doing. It's fun to learn. It's fun to watch. It's, it's fun to interact. It's fun to watch other people, their perspectives on things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that the thing you said about folks are are um, afraid to make like the, the Japanese culture of folks being afraid to make mistakes. I mean, I, I honestly I was that person for a really long time. And I still kind of am to, to a stretch. You know, what's one thing that really helped me start getting out of that shell was working at freaking Tesla. Because boy, yeah. were you wrong often. <laughs> yeah. You were wrong every freaking minute. And and that was one thing that I learned is to your point is you can't get to the core truth unless you you just sometimes you just got to try stuff and be wrong and be willing to be wrong. And then uh, you eventually get to the truth. And what's wonderful about that culture at the company is that it, it enabled that like you weren't punished for being wrong. Whereas I think in, in some places that might be very strict about punishing you for being wrong, or they'll really put you in like an, an environment where where they try to like essentially uh, put you in a situation where it's impossible to be wrong. You're like, this is super strict, super process. You have to do this. If you do this 100% of the time, it's great. But then innovation goes out the window because you have to be wrong in order to innovate. You have to try things in order to innovate. So uh, it's just fascinating that you said that. Yeah. Do, you, do you think there is also that culture here in the States or do you think it's mainly a, a Japanese thing where, where folks are just afraid to be wrong from what you saw? Anyway? Well, it's really particular. It's really sp- uh, particular in Japan, mm-hmm. I, I think that generally speaking, people don't want to make mistakes. Right. I think it's actually, I think Elon may have said something about this. You get the people who were like the top students at the Ivy League schools and and they've, they've gotten to where they've gotten by being, by not making mistakes, mm-hmm. right? They got the best, they got, you know, hundreds and hundreds, you know, straight A's in school and they got really high scores on the SAT. And wh- where did they make mistakes in life? They were so focused on like perfectionists, right? Mm-hmm. And um, being a perfectionist almost makes it hard to succeed. So, you know, you've got to be willing to to try something that won't work. Yeah. That you don't know will work. At, at, you know, you're not sure it's going to work and then learn from the failure. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the, I think the great things that Elon's companies do is they take big risks. They, they try things that might not work and then, okay, that didn't work. Let's Let's learn from that and do better next time. And I think, you know, Rocket Lab is probably my favorite example. If you're looking for a company that's doing something like that, Rocket Lab's doing it. Okay. Right. Rocket, that's the, Rocket that's Lab the uh, small space, uh, space company, right? Like they're, they're, well, they're, their work, their next rocket is going to be a, a comparable to Falcon 9. Oh, sweet. The okay. current rocket is much smaller, but they're working on a rocket called Neutron. I think the current rocket is Electron. They're working on a rocket called Neutron that's going to be comparable to Falcon 9. And 
they're trying to uh, recapture orbital rocket boosters. They just tried to catch one with a helicopter. Oh, Seems crazy, right? An they orbital it. booster with a helicopter? Yes, yes. They caught. They caught it. It's a. It's a fairly small orbital rocket booster what? coming down by parachute. They caught it with a helicopter. It's, it just sounds crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. I think they ultimately, the, the helicopter pilot had to let it go. So it fell to the ocean and it was still somewhat salvageable or something. But oh my hey, God. you know, they tried something that sounds crazy and they yeah. actually almost got it on the, fir on the first try. That's so badass. So, you know, wow. when you look at, I think Rivian is really trying something different. I don't know how much they're innovating, but they're trying something different. I don't yeah. think Lucid is trying something that much different, but you know, I'm critical of Lucid, but I think it's really interesting to look at the companies out there that are really trying to innovate. And my thing about Tesla, just to bring it back to Tesla a bit, and same thing with SpaceX, is that culture of urgency. Yeah. And, 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 and it's really important what we're, Elon, what I think Elon does that's brilliant, that I don't see anybody else doing in the same way is identifying a mission that you can get people passionate about that you're passionate about and you sell other people on being passionate about the mission. And then you do something that Elon does that almost no other entrepreneur does is, I mean, not no one, but you know, he really, you know, he goes all in and you're never going to work harder than Elon. Yep. No, no one is working harder than he is. as hard as you're working. He's working harder. You yeah. can try your, your damnedest to work as hard as he is, but you know, he's, he's just working harder. Yeah. And he sets an example. Um, he even mentioned this on about Twitter. You know, we're going to, people are going to have to have a sense of, of, you know, people are going to have to work harder. Yeah. No one's going to, I'm not expecting anybody to match my schedule, but people are going to have to work harder. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, we, we've kind of built up a culture in America. Like this is one of the advantages that Japan has and probably China has. We built up in this culture in America where the purpose of getting a job is to pay your bills. Yeah. It's not to do the job. Right. A lot of people are, are going to work so that they can pay their bills. And, you know, the fundamental mission when you get a job is make your boss happy. If you make your boss's life easier, then your boss is happy with you. And, you know, how are you making your boss's life easier? Well, make the customers happy. Um, don't waste too much money. See if we can figure out how to do this better. But you put your time and you put your commitment. And if your boss is happy with you, then you're doing good work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think, well, I just want my five weeks vacation and my paycheck. Mm -hmm. And I'm showing up to do the minimum that I have to do in order to get my paycheck and my my vacation. Yeah. Um, and that that culture is really an, uh, a big problem in the U.S. Less probably a problem in Europe, much less of a problem in Japan. Yeah. And yeah. probably China, much less of a problem. I think I think that the the mission aspect of it is you, you nailed it perf perfectly, and I think like at the same time, it's like how many companies could exist that could have a mission that could be as inspiring as Tesla's within whatever they're working on, right? Like there's only so many inspiring missions that uh, connect to the core of, of of a human, and I feel like if yeah. there's a company out there that is executing on that already, I feel like it's probably going to be one of three. <laughs> We're gonna make you know the what best I'm saying. Burger. We're gonna make the best yeah, hamburger you can exactly. imagine. Exactly. So I mean, I I would say Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods, yeah, have identified a mission. The the, the lab based meat and plant based meat companies are for people who don't just really quick for people to understand. It, I'm not talking about taking vegetables and form pressing them into a patty. I'm right. talking about companies that are working on a radically innovative way to make meat that uses a lot less energy, uses a lot less water, uses a lot less land and ultimately should be less expensive and more nutritious and safer than our current form of industry. And you know, the lab-based meat one is one angle and the plant-based meat is another angle. Yeah. I think they've discovered a mission 
and they're pursuing it with some degree of urgency. I'm not sure how urgent, but I think they're working on it. But yeah, I mean, a lot of sectors, I actually think that probably the next industry that could be revolutionized in a way that there really is a genuine mission is housing. I think mm-hmm. Boxable sort of trying to do it. I'm not sure I buy that they're there. But if somebody could come along with a way of, of making housing a lot less expensive, because it's one of the things that really is really hard on the middle class. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're wealthy, not a big deal. Right. But if you if we could address that challenge. So I think there's they think there are segments that need that approach. And then there's a lot of stuff that, you know, just you need somebody to deliver your burger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need but somebody to assemble the burger in the fast food joint. I wonder if those uh, places where the, you know, you talk about bot theoretically replacing, um, you know, boring, repetitive, you know, dangerous jobs as well, but boring and repetitive. So boring and repetitive and company without a mission seems like a very big overlap. And so I wonder if that's, you know, over time for companies that don't have these grand visions or visions that are, that are, um, that the workforce can be passionate about are the ones that will hire humans. And then over time, the ones like are, you know, it, it's a necessity, but it's like, you know, I used to work at a, at a, at a pet food uh, distributor, largest one in the U S honestly, to this day, w- one of the best jobs I've ever had because of the mentorship I received. But, um, you know, one can make the argument that, uh, delivering pet food to shops is kind of tough to be sort of passionate about. But you could, you know, you could somehow say, well, we're here to ensure that people's pets are alive and they're happy, right? So I, I can see how there could be a yeah. mission there. But I well, there's 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 the mission of of delivering foods so that the pets get well fed and everything. And there's also the mission of every every job that you have. There's a customer, there's a vendor, there's a supplier, there's people, there's fellow employees. Yeah. And you know, ultimately, your mission is to make make the people around you happier. Yeah, you know, make make their lives easier. Um, if you think that your mission in going into work is to just get a paycheck and get home, then you're not really a team. You, you know, it's about being a team player in a, in a lot of ways. Right. Know, how are you helping the team out? And I, by the way, I don't have a, I don't think I have a great history of being a team player. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I worked for others, and uh, I think that ultimately I had my vision of how things needed to be done. And if you if you can't if you don't play well with others, you got to have your own thing. So, but is, is that started, because is that because others weren't as passionate as you were though? Like, is that why? I think it's more like I had a sense of this is the way things need to be done, I and see. I'm not comfortable doing things the way that that person wants to do them, or I'm not comfortable in this environment where some of the people don't really care about delivering value to the customer or delivering, you know, making everyone else around them making life around doing things in a way that makes life better for the others around you. I see. Um, and, but basically like I, I like, I started my own law firm in 2003 and I've never had a, I, I, I think I did have a couple of jobs briefly in, in the intervening period, but I've never been, I'm just, you know, once you, once you run your own business, it's hard to be an employee again. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's, that's 100% true. And I like that that was one thing that I realized when I, we had a small business while I was working at Tesla and like after being at Tesla in my head I'm like if I ever, you know, my goal for the long term and the reason why I'm here now is because I'm at a place where I have independence financially and I'm looking to build my life based on whatever I want to do, right? Which is a, such a blessing and I'm very very lucky to have that. Um but like the one thing I detest is it's unless it's Tesla and for some reason an opportunity arises 10 years from now where it's like I it's a no-brainer and I have to join the company again f- to help them with whatever I'm like I never ever 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 
ever want to go back and work for somebody else, regardless of how awesome that company is, because the, the freedom of being able to do your own thing is so satisfying. You know, like yeah. I can literally wake up every morning and be like, okay, this is what I want to do today. You know, like that. Well, yeah. Go ahead, sorry. I, I had the idea a while back of starting up a venture capital fund. Hmm. Probably, to, at the, at, at a, I, I was thinking about SpaceX Boring Company and Neuralink, and I settled on Boring Company. And I was trying to put together a fund, and I realized, number one, it's a lot harder than it looks. Sure. And number two, there's no shortage of wealthy people forming these funds to invest in Elon's companies. Sure. So I wasn't really adding value, and I've had this other idea for a while that I want to start up my own um, electric vehicle company, mm-hmm. which I call the Podcar, um, single passenger EV. And I'm probably wrong. I'm probably going to blow it. But I haven't been able to get this idea out of my head for like since since uh, autonomy day mm-hmm. when Elon talked about um, autonomy day. I just I've had this idea in my head that we need a single passenger EV, mm-hmm. that that's going to be ultimately be the most efficient form of transportation is a single passenger EV. And I've been talking about it for a while. And finally, I said, you know, Tesla's not going to do it. Nobody else is going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I'm in talks with a couple of uh, people to build my first prototype. I'm not the engineer. I don't have the engineering chops to do it myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Not even close. I just have a vision of what it could be. Yeah. And I'm about to spend maybe $50,000 not selling Tesla stock. <laughs> I'm about to spend maybe $50,000 building the first prototype. Wow, man. Um, that's awesome. And, you know, but it's, it's like, I've had this vision of what I think it needs to be. And it's funny. I was talking to uh I had one friend who's an engineer and I told him what I wanted to do and I paid him a thousand dollars to do a design for me. And it's like, no, that's not it. Hmm. So there's a thousand dollars down the drain. And now <laughs> I paid somebody else. I think I spent $1,500 getting three different people to give me designs through Upwork. And then I spent another, I don't know, thousand dollars on one of the guys to, to go a little further. And it's like, no, that's not it either. Yeah. So I've already blown like two or $3,000, more than 2000, maybe $3,000 on this idea so far. Yeah. And, but I have a much better idea of what I want to do now. Good. So you didn't really blow it. You're kind of like, it's just the iteration process, you know, it's like you're nailing it down a little bit better. I'm not iterating fast enough. And what I'm not happy about is I'm not iterating fast enough. And, Mm. um, I think that I'm, well, one of the ideas for the single passenger EV is it's a robo taxi and there's no use for it until you have reliable self-driving software in a robo taxi network to put it in. Right. So, it, I don't have the same sense of urgency because it's not going to be useful until there's a, a a viable network out there. Yeah. So, but I, you know, I'm I'm starting to get more of a sense. Okay, I need to really dive in and do this and make this happen. Yeah. So, I need like, but it's like, I have this vision of what I want to do, and now I'm driving forward and saying, all right, I'm gonna get this done. And there's so many hurdles along the way. Sure. That, you know, we, we, when you th- this is one of those things like people. People, there's people when the fudsters, the people who are critical of Tesla and Elon, like they act like it was easy. Yeah. What he did was easy. Like, oh, he just, you know, his father owned an emerald mine and he was walking around with emeralds in his pockets. <laughs> they have all these like ridiculous stories. Like, well, what about all the other people whose parents owned emerald mines and didn't create right. all these companies? Right. Well, he just paid smart people to do this stuff for him. Well, what happened to all the other people? Why didn't all the, why didn't Bill Gates pay people to make orbital rocket boots? Jeff Bezos has lots of money. He yeah. can hire lots of smart people. How come he's not landing orbital rocket boosters? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, 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 there's. It's surface level thinking. Think that there's, yeah. I'm going to say this. I think there's people who hate success mm. because when they see someone who's successful, 
it reflect in their own mind it reflects badly on them it mm. can't be that that guy actually worked hard and was smarter than me and that's why he succeeded there has to be some other explanation for why that guy succeeded because i haven't achieved that level of success so it must be that he did something wrong mm. he cheated he did mm. the, the, and, and i look at elon and say man this is fantastic i wish we had more people like this guy and i don't yeah. know if you've heard me say this i think those of us who have been successful particularly through investing in tesla stock right like I made more money on Tesla stock than I'll ever make on YouTube, right? Yeah. Um, those of us who have been successful, there's sort of a pay it forward aspect of, okay, what can I do to be a little bit like Elon? I'm never mm. going to be Elon. Mm. I'm never going to be one-tenth of Elon. But if a, thousand of, if a thousand of us can do one-hundredth of an Elon, then we've created 10 Elons. Yeah. Right? So, so my, my single passenger EV is an idea that I'm pursuing. I got another one I call Solar Farm Apartments that I'm going to do after the... After, after the single passenger EV fails, I'm going to do this other idea that's not going to work. <laughs> oh, come on. Um, <laughs> you don't know if it's going to fail. That's my crack at the housing crisis. Yeah. Um, but it's so true, though. It's so right. I mean, I, that's the thing. That's the one very inspiring thing about Elon as a person is that it, it really, I think for those of us that are really passionate about what he's doing and the companies he's building, is that it really, I really do think it's really starting to build this community around him that and those that might be inspired by the mission maybe on the fringes a little bit is that man like if this guy's doing the, the reason why i even started a small business in the first place back in 2016 was because well if elon is doing this and he's able to bring value to to people through whatever he's doing and he's able to juggle all these things shit i gotta try too like i gotta do something about it i'm inspired by this i gotta try it you know however silly or small or small business was it still inspired me to try to do something that's valuable right. or or helpful for society in some way you know so i think i think that's i wonder one of my biggest things it's as as tesla continues to grow and say for the next 10 years more and more folks you know exit the company and go on to do their own things and and the people that have been following the company as well like what kind of things are we going to start to see up here that are oh. sort of born out of that innovation mindset and the mission mindset you know have you seen there's a startup from spacex engineers that's gonna that's they're trying to revolutionize the rail industry i can't think of the name of it off the top of my head but they've got that. this like totally different approach to rail they're using the existing tracks and they've got this sort of modular system where you have like the engine sits on the track and you lower the the shipping containers right onto these things and they they they're all, they're not quite like little skateboards yeah it's almost like there's a front and a rear and you drop the cargo shipping container on it and they've got this whole system so i think there's a lot of potential i mean boring company really is steve davis from spacex right um you know elon gets all the attention but steve davis is working on it you know 90 hours a week and elon works on it like five hours a week right um you know elon matters don't get me wrong and elon gives steve steve davis the the freedom to pursue it and the team at boring company to do it um i definitely think you'll see spinoffs um from tesla the people coming out and saying okay what can we do now but i think just oh sorry i was gonna say one other thing that's fine you described starting a business and i used to talk about this with politics but i think it's just as true with business like I talked about people before who they just want to get their check so they can go home and, and, you know, pay yeah. their, pay their rent and, and, and get their vacation. Yeah. And I had this moment in politics where I said, I need to get off the couch. I'm sitting here on the couch yelling at the TV, right? I don't like what's happening. And I'm yelling at the TV. At some point you got to get off the couch. Yeah. And I think the same things, the same things, this, what's true in politics is also true in business. You, you're, 
you see something in life that you're like, this should be better. This could be done better. Well, get off the couch and start a business that's going to do that. Right. If it's politics, you don't like the way the politicians are talking, get off the couch and run for office. Get off the couch and get behind, find a candidate you believe in and get behind them and really put time in and really put effort in and, and put thought in and see how you can make a difference. Same thing in business. What, you know, what could be done better? You know, how could this be done better? How can we get there faster? I mean, my whole idea for the single passenger EV, by the way, is what Tesla is doing is they're accelerating the transition to sustainable energy from the top down. They started with the richest people with a Roadster, rich people with a Model S and X. They're working their way down to the upper middle class and rich countries. Nobody's doing it for poor countries. Mm -hmm. And my single passenger EV, if you follow Kathy Wood, uh, ARK Invest, they're they're predicting that robo-taxi rides will get down to 25 cents a mile. Yeah, I don't know what your ethnic background is, but I'm guessing your your ancestors came from a country that today is poor. Um, so I'm I'm from Iran. My parents are both Iranian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So probably not as poor as some other countries, but like if you look at India, if you not look very at poor. Uh, <laughs> at least now they're at, a little bit more. But yeah, if you look at India, if you look at Egypt, uh, if you look at Pakistan, Bangladesh, if you look at a lot, there's a lot of countries where 25 cents a mile isn't cheap enough. Mm-hmm. That like we think 25 cents a mile, which is you know a third of what we pay to drive our cars mm-hmm. and one-tenth of what Uber charges, right? If you could get it down to, if you get it down to 25 cents a mile, that's great for Americans. It's great for Western Europeans. It's great for the Japanese, but you're not doing much for India. So how can you get the, the price of a ride down to a nickel a mile instead of 25 cents a mile? Yeah. How can you get the, the, I believe the cost per mile of driving a model three today is somewhere between, is around 15 cents a mile. Mm-hmm. Maybe they, I, I think they may be getting it more efficient. The cost to Tesla, let me say, Tesla builds a Model 3 and operates itself as a robo-taxi. I think they may get it, be getting the cost down to 15 cents a mile or less. And I think mm-hmm. that next generation robo-taxi is going to get the cost per mile to the owner, to Tesla if they operate it themselves, under 10 cents a mile. Mm-hmm. But can we get it down to a penny a mile? Right? Can we get the, the cost of, for the owner to operate that vehicle down to a penny a mile? And can that mean, does that mean we can deliver a ride for a nickel a mile? Yeah. So I just looked at that and I said, I don't see anybody else who's doing it. Yeah. I don't see anybody else who's, who's, who's on that path. And I think I see a way to get in there. And yeah. I could sit on the couch and t- I could sit on my YouTube channel and talk about how somebody should do this, which is what I've been doing for the last couple of years. Or I could say the hell with it. I'm going to do it. So yeah. I'm going to throw down my own money. And I'm probably just like Elon always says, I'm probably going to fail. Mm-hmm. There's a 10% chance of success. But I think I've got a path. I believe in it. I say I'm probably going to fail. I'm sure when he, whenever Elon said he's probably going to fail, he probably believed he was going to succeed. Right, exactly. Right. You say yeah. you're probably going to He's just trying to be realistic. Yeah, he's trying to be realistic. Well, the, yeah. the public face of it is, look, Yeah. anybody looking from the outside and say, Warren, you're, you're a lawyer. You have no ability to make an electric vehicle. Yeah, you're probably right, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> right. Um, I'm going in. I'm going in. I'm going to try to make it happen. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, but I think that get off the couch moment is really important. That a lot of us are are watching Tesla and SpaceX from the sidelines and we're excited about it and we're cheering it on and, and there's a value in that. And we're making YouTube videos and there's a value in that. Get, making a YouTube video about it is a little bit of getting off the couch. But I think we all need to ask ourselves the question, can we do more? Yeah. Can, can I do more? What can I do to accelerate the transition to sustainable energy? What can I do to identify a problem? And it doesn't have to be a global problem. It could be, you know, in my community, there's not enough green space. Mm-hmm. What can I do to create... Can, can we just pause for a second? No problem. Yeah. But yeah, talking about the get off the couch moment, that's sort of where we left off. But uh but yeah, no, yeah. I, so yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying that that we all have that opportunity. We we all we all 
it, it, it the hard there's two there's hard parts like there's identifying a problem so you can identify a problem in your local community that could be made better you can look at like Kimball Musk created these like farm to table you know sort of innovative restaurants mm-hmm. right that are just sort of made he's not he's got the square roots project where they're you know growing food and shipping containers he's got some ideas he's pursuing some things you know yeah. and it's sort of like I I can't like I I don't know your community. I don't know your lifestyle. I don't know what your issues are. You might, you you sort of have to take a step back, sit there and say, what is going on in my life that could be better? You know, this is sort of like, you know, maybe we need a better gym. Maybe the grocery stores don't have the right products or, you know, I, I, I'm just like grasping at straws, but you have this moment in your life where something happens. You're like, this should be better. Yeah. I mean, a really good example is I, I went to this cardiologist, just, Wanted to get sort of like baseline, how am I doing cardiology? You know, how's my uh, heart? Get a stress test. Just see how how hard can I push myself at the gym was basically the question. Yeah. Every time I went to the doctor's office, I waited an hour. (laughs) More than an hour. Um, I think it was almost an hour and a half last time. Wow. And not only that, the third time I went was for him to give me the results of the test. Like, why didn't he just call me? Yeah, right. (laughs) I I, I drove a half hour each way and I sat in his office for an hour and a half waiting to talk to him. I talked to him for five or 10 minutes to be told what he could have told me over the phone. Crazy. Um, now, I can't fix that problem. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical practice manager. I don't see that I can solve that problem. But that's an example where I see a problem. It's a very common problem in the world of medicine that they don't care about our time and we wait. We end up waiting an hour to be seen. Yeah. They, you tell us to show up at a certain time and then you don't see us when you tell us to show up. So, you know, how do, is there a way of getting the, the, the... And there are not all doctors are like this, right? But I, I definitely think this is true for a lot of doctor's offices. Yeah. Um, I would love to see a doctor start up a practice and say, you're not, you're not, you're not going to wait more than 15 minutes. And right. this is what we're going to do to make sure it happens. And we're going to innovate on how we run a medical practice. Yeah. Right. So that we're going to make, make medic, but patients, you know, the whole medical industry is not driven by customer satisfaction. Right. 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 You know, they don't get paid more if you're satisfied. True. And if they lose a customer, there's another one coming. There's, there's a shortage of, of doctors, but you know, I'm just saying that as an example, sort yeah. of like what, what, and you just sort of have this moment where something annoys you. Can you take that moment and say, wait a minute, I could do this better. And it could be political. You know, there's this problem in my community and the local government isn't handling it right. I'm going to go run for office. I'm going to make it happen. That's really hard to do. Yeah. Right. But can you get off the couch, you know, stop watching trashy TV, stop watching all the sports. You're not making the world a better place by watching LeBron James dunk a basketball. And I love watching basketball. <laughs> right. You're not making the world a better place by swinging a golf club. And I love swinging a golf club. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What can you do to make the world a better place on a small scale or a large scale and get off the couch, put down the golf clubs, put down the tennis racket, turn off the TV and start thinking, what can I do? Yeah. And it, and it, it may take a while. I mean, I really think that one of the hardest moments it's, it, you know, it is that moment of having the inspiration. That's hard seeing what, what is there? What's really irking me over the last week? Because it's not like a one-day thing. It's got to be something that's irked you more than once. Right. And then then it's got to be something you can do something about. Like I just described what happens in doctor's offices. I have no idea how to attack that problem. Yeah. I'm not going to solve that problem. I'm not even going to put my time into it. But what's going to be really interesting is that if somebody does solve it, I feel like that uh, that sort of practice will catch fire in the same way that EVs caught fire with Tesla. 
You know, it's like you almost need that sort of flame. Like one, it's it's one exceptional business or one exceptional person can bring to light sort of the the weakness of the current industry. And then if it, if it's fundamental enough, it catches fire. And then before you know it, it's freaking everywhere. You know, a, you know what? Really good example is there's a guy named a doctor named Devi Shetty, S H E T T Y. He's a cardiologist in India. I think he's still alive. And there's a, if you Google the Henry Ford of heart surgery. Mm-hmm. He created a, a new heart hospital in India. Um, there's and, and it's, it's the the model has grown pretty substantially. But he and they're the best heart. It's the best heart surgeon heart surgery uh, facility in the world, mm-hmm. and it's in India, wow. in Hyderabad or Bangalore or something like that. Um, and their surgeons do a really really high volume, mm-hmm. and they came up with a model. And it's really really inexpensive. Like if you knew you needed heart surgery but you didn't have to have it right away, and you could fly to India and have it done at this hospital it would be the best care you could possibly get and it would cost you less than one-tenth of what it would cost in the U.S. Wow. And the reason it's so good is because the doctors get so much um, experience that they all have like 10 times as many procedures under their belt as the doctor at your local hospital. Yeah. Um, So that, you know, and he's extended that. There's something on the Cayman Islands called Health City. That's an extension of what they're doing in India. Um, so I think there's a lot of potential in a lot of different areas, but you know, he's a guy who, look, he had a job. He was a great heart surgeon. He could have just been content with being a great heart surgeon. He said, you know what, we can make this a lot better. And he got off. He wasn't even on the couch, but he like put some more skin in the game, took some bigger risks and did something amazing. Yeah. And I think we all have the potential to do that on a smaller scale or larger scale. And, you know, look for your opportunity when you see that opportunity, get off the couch and do it. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I, I think I think if if more and more folks, uh, if we can have more and more folks uh, approach that, and knowing and embracing the fact that it's it's probably going to suck really bad for a while because it's so yeah. hard to get these things started. It's almost like yeah. how can we get the passion level to and that I need to do this over the sort of like the I know it's going to suck factor, and then once yeah. we can get more and more people get over that threshold, I feel like we'll have this explosion of innovation and and folks getting out there. So. Um, we're approaching an hour and a half and I want to be respectful of your time, Warren. Uh, was there any other, uh, topics that you wanted to hit before, uh, we wrap this up or you're comfortable? I got as much at? time as you want. Okay. Do you want to hit 4680? Cause I know that's one, one thing that yes. we were talking about. Yeah. Yes. Um, so let's start the chat. So what are your thoughts around 4680? Well, number one, I'm, I'm fairly confident that they're succeeding in producing 4680s in some volume and that they will succeed in producing it in, in substantial volume by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest question I have, and I was curious about your take on this, is yeah. the, the 4680 Model Y that is not, you can't order it yet, but when they delivered 4680 Model Ys at, uh, at the Gigafactory at the Cyber Rodeo, my impression is that they're delivering a vehicle that has 278 miles of stated range. Mm-hmm. And it's really only like 260 miles of range or 240 miles of range on the highway and 290 in the city. Mm-hmm. And the way it was sold to us at battery day was that 4680 was going to have more range. Mm. And I, I have my own theory about what they're doing with model Y, but I'm curious about your take. Were you surprised and or disappointed? I mean, you're, you're aware of what I'm talking about, right? That it looks yeah. like you've seen, you've seen the EPA document. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you surprised that it has less range? Are you surprised? Um, I mean, it, weight, the vehicle weight is the one that troubles me the most, that you're delivering a vehicle with a smaller battery pack and less range with a more efficient manufacturing system that's supposed to use less parts. Yeah. Why does this thing weigh as much as a long range Model Y? 
so are we what, are, what's your take on all that are we confident that's like the final document of of what the state of range of is of the model y is going to be or is that a placeholder right could it could there be a placeholder right and then the other thing the other way i'm thinking about it too is are we have we had any sort of um has anybody broken down the car yet? Like how we had the, oh, the no. yeah, right. So we're not even no, there they've yet. only delivered them to like 30 employees as far as I know. Right. So no, um, most people I talk to are confident this is real and that there will be an order at some point, maybe the end of this month or the end of next month, you will be able to order this Model Y all-wheel drive mm -hmm. on the Tesla website um, and they will start delivering them. And one explanation that works for me a little bit is, well, if you went with a 90 kilowatt hour pack, and instead, if you were going to do a 90 kilowatt hour pack and be able to deliver, let's say, 360 miles of range, mm -hmm. and instead you go with a 60 kilowatt hour pack and you're able to deliver 278 miles of range, you can make 50% more vehicles by using, because if, you, if your batteries are your limitation, then by cutting the battery pack two thirds, you end up delivering 50% more vehicles to customers. Right. So I buy that part of it, but then I don't, then I have a problem with the vehicle weight. Right. That the vehicle should weigh a lot less because you just reduce the battery pack by half by by two by a third and the battery pack is one of the most heaviest things in the vehicle and you went to structural pack which is supposed to save a lot of weight um jordan gisegi from limiting factor and i both came into our own calculation that a 4680 model y with the same range should weigh about 500 pounds less mm -hmm. than a long range model y ballpark mm -hmm. I'm, I'm giving you ballpark numbers yeah yeah yeah. this weighs like 50 pounds less than a long range model y and it has less range so what's so um i have i have argued uh particularly with omar from omar's blog omar's catalog i have argued with omar that i think that it's i thought it might be lithium iron phosphate it's pretty conclusively not lithium iron phosphate at this point it's mm -hmm. pretty conclusively it's it's 4680 um i still think that ultimately there's gonna be a 4680 model y that's gonna have like 400 miles of range and weigh 50, you know, hundreds of pounds less and all this yeah. stuff. But I don't know when it's happening. I just, you worked for Tesla, you're into yeah. this stuff. Do you have a, a sense of what's going on here? I mean, my gut tells me is that it's it's not, what if that is the, the final product that they're running through, it's probably the first iteration of structural battery pack with the with the front and back wheel casting that is not, it hasn't reached its, its final form. So like it, they could be using a different, uh, chemistry that that was stated originally or they're using different types of cells or they're using different materials for the casting they're using a different material for the battery pack um the the, the what i've seen internally at tesla is that they sometimes what they'll do um like i just saw this with, with my own two eyes is that they'll they'll release a something and then they'll iterate down to where they need to go and so perhaps the right. the the thought process behind having a a lighter vehicle with higher range using the new platform will be reached uh but like for me it's like i just want to wait and see until they mass produce it because once they start mass producing producing it who's to say that they're not going to reach that target and the reason why they've maybe only shipped 30 cars so far to employees is because they they're just about to transition over to that whatever that way is using the the material they're supposed to be using using the cells they're supposed to be using uh whatever it is maybe they just have to work on a few more things before they're able to ramp up and it could be that the supply chain issues that we've been seeing in the industry are causing an inability for them to really get to where they need to go and they're like you know what let's get these cars out there let's use it as a way to 
gather more data about how these cars behave, uh, perhaps on some auxiliary data that's not pertinent specifically to running a 4680 platform. Maybe there's something else that they want to test on the vehicle. And then once they get that data and they have what they need to run the, like what, what I call the finished 4680, then they go mass scale and then you call it a day. So uh, I, I very rarely, I mean, the one thing I've experienced by being a Tesla is that they, they never miss their targets. They always beat them at some point, uh, but sometimes it takes longer. You know, sometimes it takes longer. So, um, if you go yeah. back, if you go back to before Giga, before Cyber Rodeo, yeah, the vision, the, the picture we had seen of structural pack of the of the forty six eighty structural pack was nine hundred and sixty cells. Mm -hmm. Some, you know, somebody saw a picture, they worked out the numbers. It was nine hundred and sixty cells. Now, the new pack that you were at Cyber Rodeo, that the, we we saw the pack. Somebody else did the calculation. They came up with eight hundred and twenty eight cells. Mm. So they reduced cells by a hundred and 32. Mm -hmm. So that's not, that's not 90 to 60, right? It's, it, right. it's a significant cut and 10%, um, more than 10%. Yeah. It's still to me with 820, I actually think that they're, that not all the cells are, are, there's two possibilities. One, they're not, you know, some of the cells are empty or some of the cells are a dummy cell. Um, but, but that makes the 500 pound thing even worse because <laughs> yes, you, you don't have a full you don't have a full structural battery pack theoretically but yeah like if it had all the cells it could be 650 pounds or 700 oh, no no they're putting dummy right? cells in that way this way way the same but aren't batteries i see the okay. theory i see um but i don't just, know why they would just, do that that doesn't redundant. add up it, yeah. it doesn't add up to me and i, and I, I you know the, one of the theories is that the true 4680 model y is going to so badly Osborne the existing Model Y that they can't release it yet, right? And I, my take, my take all along has been they're going to come out with a with I call what I call ludicrous Model Y. Mm -hmm. The ludicrous Model Y will be eighty thousand dollars, and it'll do zero to sixty in three point two seconds or whatever, and it'll have four hundred miles of range. Mm -hmm. But if you want a Model Y, it's sixty thousand for the long range Model Y. It's sixty eight thousand for the I'm making up numbers. Yeah, sixty something thousand for the performance Model Y, and then the ludicrous Model Y. Actually, you might stop making performance Model Y. You might just go with um, long-range Model Y with 2170s and then ludicrous Model Y with um, It would replace the performance at that point, yeah. Because when you when you run the numbers, if, if you did one with 960 cells, which you could do, or 820, even with 828 cells, you'd have a lot more range than you'd have, you should have. It, it just, it doesn't add up. And I was going to say, I talked to a battery engineer when I was at Cyber Rodeo, and I mm -hmm. asked him specifically about this. And I, the impression I got was that the driving dynamics of the vehicle being that much lighter was a potentially a, he didn't say it this way, but he sort of, my interpretation of what he said, the driving dynamics of making the vehicle that much lighter was a problem. It's my interpretation. And so they had to add weight to the vehicle so that it's not to mess up the driving dynamics. Now, my take on that is, well, that like doesn't a good really problem make sense. Or a bad problem? <laughs> that they, that the car didn't feel right on the road being that light. And Obviously, what, what you're going to do long run is you're going to iterate on the vehicle design to make it handle better at lightweight. You're going to have to change your suspension components. You might have to change the wheels and tires or something like that. You, you have to do some things to make it work. And maybe they weren't ready. Maybe once they had the finished version, they're like, oh, this doesn't handle right. We got to make it. It's too light. They could tell this vehicle is too lightweight. You know, think about they engineered the suspension for a certain weight. And all of a sudden the vehicle weighs 500 pounds lighter, you probably need different suspension components 
Yeah, but that that would be that would still be a win in that case because really for a car, the lighter the better. I mean, you'll just get better driving but, dynamics. You but know, but the time it takes to do the engineering to get the better engine, the the right suspension components, they might not have been ready for that when they were ready to come out with the vehicle. So they just slap some extra weight on it. I'm not saying it makes sense. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't that seem, sound like that something seems Elon counter. Would do. That seems counterintuitive. It's almost like you're you're building in. Uh, like that doesn't make any sense to me. Like they'll be better off because because Tesla is really good at solving problems. They'll they'll yeah. fig they'll figure out the suspension thing without without having to add additional weight. So then the other theory is that they're going to software they're going to offer a software unlock. Yeah, that you get the vehicle and it's got 278 miles of range, and then. You know, six months from now, a year from now, they're going to say, "Okay, for ten thousand dollars, you can unlock an extra hundred miles of range." Mm. Right. That 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 the vehicle actually does have the full eight hundred twenty-eight cells, and um, all you have to do, all they have to do, is flick a switch. We'll we'll know that as soon as Sandy tears that sucker down. That that would become super well, obvious, right? He, at that yeah, point, but he's not going to get one for a while. We right. You know, we don't know when they're going to start selling them. So, I mean, I do think there's a theory that they put that out there to to throw people off the track, and then what's really what's really happening is going to it's a four hundred mile model oh. Y, yeah, four hundred fifty mile model Y. It's not consistent with with battery yeah. day. Battery day was supposed to have longer range. It was supposed to be lighter weight and longer range. What happened? I think that's probably the likeliest scenario, and I, I think that's that's the likeliest scenario. Now, I don't I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that, but it it I I would not. So the, the the notion of Tesla saying it's going to be this and then it ends up being worse that I delete that from my brain because that's just not how the company works. Like at its core, right. DNA does not right. work that way, my opinion. So the the alternative is I think that is probably the most likely. Uh, I don't know if it's fifty percent or thirty percent or one hundred percent. Is that the the additional weight? Cause that that's really the clue here. The additional weight is the indication that there's something else going on with that platform that we don't understand that could theoretically be unlocked through software in some way. Right. Um, that makes the most sense to me because, like the the yeah, because because if they if they really did end up with a with a lighter vehicle, they would take advantage of that. They would 100 percent because that or I mean the Osborne effect too. There's a good point because if you really have a Model Y that drives better than a Model Three. And it has way more space and theoretically more range. The Model Three goes away, and then uh, you know, eight, what is it like fifty percent, forty percent of Fremont? I'm just guessing here, but like a huge majority of that factory becomes idle, and then that's a freaking pain in the ass. Now, theoretically, yeah. you have the cash to to uh, solve for that, and you you know, kind of get you redo your line for Model Y, but you have supply chain shortages, and you have uh, issues with suppliers getting the machinery there. So it's maybe a eighteen month run rate, and you don't want forty percent of Fremont not doing anything for eighteen months because that just looks like shit, and then. That labor is idle. You're paying people for for just sitting around. I don't know. There's a lot of different sort of variables playing out here, um, and it could very well be that, you know. And then the other thing too is like I don't even know if they're going to give people the option to buy 4680. I think it's just going to be buy the Model Y, and then depending on where you are regionally, you either get 4680 from Texas or you get the California version. And right. maybe the reason why they're uh, they, they've downgraded the battery in a sense is to make it paired so that people wouldn't mind. And then when they get the Model Y, uh, everything, all the Model Ys in 4680s, then they flip the switch and they're like, oh, it's actually 400 miles, right? I don't know. I just, right. I'm just sort of, you know, thinking out loud, but it's interesting. I, I mean, when I saw that, yeah. I think the software unlock of, you know, pay us $10,000 and you get more range. It, it, that does make a little bit of sense. It, but, it, I mean, nothing makes, does. honestly, none of this makes, none of this makes sense <laughs> to me. It's frustrating.
Yeah, I think um, I think it's we're gonna have to wait until they start ramping up for us to get an actual. Because who's to say they're overstating the weight too? Like, are we sure that the weight is a hundred percent accurate? Like, did we get those cars and actually uh, put them on a lift in Wyoming? Would you really would you really submit data to the F to the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration that was was, was sorry, it's the it's the EPA. Yeah. Would you really submit data to the EPA that was false? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just guessing. I don't know. I don't think I'm you just would guessing. do that. Have manufacturers done that before where they've set their cars heavier than it actually is? Because I know sometimes they understate horsepower, don't they? Uh, to I certain parties. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't, I, I haven't seen it. That, I don't know. That would surprise me. Yeah, it, it seems like a like a like a careless thing to do, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I think I think we'll we'll get the full picture once it starts ramping out of Austin, and I think we'll have better better data around that. So yeah, fascinating yeah. stuff. Warren, thank you so much, man. What a uh, far ranging discussion. Awesome Good conversation. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, anything? Any last words before uh, we close the sucker out? No, I really appreciate what you're doing. I think. Uh, uh, I, I look forward to seeing more from you. I, I really want more of us to promote the message that we need to do. We need to be more like we need to start getting off the couch and doing something more. Yeah. It's on all of us. Elon is Elon. Is, Elon should be our role model. None of us. None of us is going to work 18 hours a day and, and, and sleep on factory floors, maybe. But we can do more than we all can do more than what we're doing. It's a little bit of a Jordan Peterson thing and a little bit of an Elon Musk thing. We all. We can all take more responsibility on our shoulders, try to take more responsibility, try to do more, try to accomplish more. And, you know, I'm at this point in my life where I'm like, you know what, I can do more than I'm doing. So I'm going to start trying to do more. And if we all do a little bit more, then we make the world a better place. I love it. Great message. And I agree 100%. Yeah, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate you. And again, I, likewise, I really I really enjoy your channel. I love I love the candid nature of your channel. I love the way you you approach um, um, certain things and, and and sort of the angles that you take, obviously, from the, experience you've, the experiences you've had and and just how open you are and how honest you are. So I, I keep doing that. That's one of the reasons why I watch you. And uh, although sometimes you might be contrarian, I think it's it's amazing to hear that angle as well, because again, it gives us the full picture, but uh, you and I are aligned on, on most everything. I so, never get anybody yeah. upset. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, never, dude. But no, honestly, I, I really appreciate you. I really do appreciate you. And thank you for coming on. And uh, you you're so always welcome. Me. Yeah, man. You're always welcome back. So thank you, man. Right. Appreciate you.